I love the words of that song, ruins come to life. And it's true, through Christ, ruins come to life. Many of us know what it's like to live before we met Christ. And we've seen our own life come to a new existence in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to learn what it means to become that brand new person. And it's really actually an important text. And it's life-changing if we're willing to embrace the truth of it. The truth that through Jesus, we can be made completely new. Many of us labor under these false belief systems and worldviews that we're just not good enough to be a good Christian. Or our sins really can't be forgiven because you don't really know what I've done. Or even if I can be forgiven, I'll never really be right. I can never really change. My circumstances can never change. But that's not true. Because in the power of Christ, everything can change. And if we're willing to embrace three truths that Paul's going to tell us this morning, we can be new in Christ. If we're willing to embrace the fact that we can be saved through Jesus alone, that we can be totally and absolutely forgiven through Jesus alone, and that we can have absolute victory through Jesus alone, then we can be new. We can live a new life. We can enjoy a new experience with Christ. And our depth with Him will grow deeper and deeper. Paul set this passage up that we're going to look at this morning. In 2 Corinthians verse 10, he led into our passage by saying this, And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And what Paul is saying here is that through Christ we can be absolutely complete because He is all rule and authority. And Paul has spent time in this letter to the Colossians, as we've read, talking about the majesty of Christ, the supreme nature of Christ. And so there's no doubt in Paul's mind that if we're willing to receive these truths about Jesus, that we can be brand new. And that's what I want for you. I don't want you to drag around your, your sin and shame and your doubts. I want you to step out into freedom and experience life as Jesus meant you to live it. So let's take a look at this passage together as we move along in our series on Colossians. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Colossians 2, and we'll begin in verse 11. If you want to use that Bible in the seat rack in front of you, this is on page 984. And you can also download the Ridgewood app or just open it and touch media and just prompt your way through to the study notes for today. Colossians 2, and we'll go through verse 15, beginning in verse 11. In this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to get a healthy reminder that you're not saved by any outward acts, ceremonies, or rituals. We're not changed by our own efforts eternally. That it's only through Christ alone that we can have victory, that we can have freedom. And it is available. And we're going to find out how this morning. So these first two verses, 11 and 12, at first may not seem like an obvious answer to the thesis or an obvious support of it, but we'll unpack it and you'll see. Beginning in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands 
by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So you say, oh, that's interesting. Let's find out what it means. Remember last week, Paul is telling us that we cannot live on speculative Christianity. We should not be involved with arguments around the edges that distract us from the mission. The mission is every one of these lamps represents a soul saved this year at Ridgewood Church. Our mission is to make more of these lamps. Our mission is to disciple the people who represent are represented by these lamps. We're not to be involved with all of the circular arguing that goes on in the Christian community or preferences or competing worldviews. We're to be about the mission. But there were false teachers in Colossae that were trying to lead these believers astray into those kind of arguments. And Paul is saying, no, that's not where I want you to go. I want you to stay true to what you believe, and that is change happens by Christ alone. And so the first of these truths is obvious, but it's so essentially important, is that you are not saved by ceremonies or outward acts, but by Christ alone. Now, most of us, if we've grown up in the church or we study the word of God, are going to say, well, yeah, I know that already. I understand that. But what I think we fail to understand at times is that, yes, we may have this belief that we are saved, but we're trying to add on. We're trying to earn more. We're not completely, we're not completely sure that God accepts us for who we are. So these false teachers in Colossae were providing two problems for the, for the believers there. Number one, they were teaching that Jesus was not sufficient for salvation. So you went into mysticism and the worship of angels and that kind of nonsense. And Paul has already destroyed those arguments with this idea that Jesus is the creator of all, the supreme master of the universe. He's over the angels that these people were telling them to worship. But the second issue was that these false teachers were trying to drag them back into the Jewish rituals, ceremonies. And most prominently, the idea of circumcision, that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Now, circumcision was a very important part of God's work in the plan of redemption. He appointed his people Israel. He, he adopted them as his own. And the outward sign of the covenant relationship with God is circumcision in the Old Testament. And circumcision also has another meaning. It helps us understand the depth of our sin and our need for salvation. The very cutting away of a man's foreskin, the the personal part of the body and the part of the body that brings life is there to help us to be reminded that the life we are breeding is stained with sin. And that only through Christ, only through, in the Old Testament, the coming Messiah, could we be saved from that sin. So, here's the thing. How do you be saved? Saved through Christ alone. But there's also some other truths that work here that are really important to help understand that. Because circumcision is no longer our thing because it's been replaced by spiritual circumcision. We don't need to have an outward sign like circumcision anymore because Christ is at work in our hearts. Circumcision is 
Christ transforming us inside. If you look at the language here, the body of the flesh refers to our sinful nature that we still struggle with. Even if we've been Christians a long time, we still have that constant work that we're trying to do, this this idea of becoming more like Christ. The Colossians, though, needed to understand that these false teachers were wrong. They didn't need to go back to the ceremonies and rituals. It was new now. Christ was doing it in their hearts. For God, it's always about the heart. And for him... He knew that you could become a new creation because he himself was a new creation. If there was anybody in history that was in touch with his sin, it was Paul. And so he writes about this in his letter to the, to the Colossian, to the, the church rather in, in Corinth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Then why do we always want to live like the old? And I'm not talking about like, you know, going out and partying and, you know, I'm sure none of you do any of that. You guys are very moral, probably pretty close to perfection. Most of you. Yeah, I got it. If it's only men I've gotten all year. Amen, pastor. Yes, we are. That's great. Um, But what I'm talking about is. Living as if we are still dragging the past along with us. Living as if we really haven't been transformed and changed. Maybe we've made a decision to follow Jesus, and that's really important, obviously. But we haven't embraced the transformational power of Christ. And what's happening inside of us right now is we are being changed in the heart. So we no longer need physical circumcision done by hands. Circumcision done by hands, we have spiritual circumcision. And then along with that, we need now to understand in the church that baptism has replaced circumcision as the sign of our salvation. And so at one time, if you were if you were a, a person that lived back in the time of, say, of Moses or a time that you were part of that nation of Israel, then the, your outward sign, if you were a male, would be circumcision. They, that's you're you're in the covenant. But now the outward sign is baptism. And, and Paul's really convinced of that. It's very, very important because what baptism symbolizes is the idea of going into the water, the old person dragging our sin and our shame and our spiritual death into the water, just like Christ went into the tomb and then being raised with Jesus out of the water as a symbol of our new life. Baptism is really important because no longer is it circumcision, but it's baptism that is the outward sign of our salvation and your new life in Christ. And the symbolism of baptism was really important to Paul. When he wrote to the Romans, he said this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, Jesus was raised from the dead. He took all of our sin and shame. He took it to the cross. He was buried there, but he was raised and we can be raised. 
And so the truth of the matter is, if we want to embrace this idea of a new life, it comes only through Christ. It starts with salvation by Christ alone. The inward circumcision of Christ is is transforming us. The outward sign is baptism. The second major truth to help us embrace this new life is by accepting this. And this is the hard part, I think, for most of us. You are forgiven by Christ alone. And in order to be this brand new person, you have to accept this truth. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. I don't know about you, but for me, I can't hear that enough. You are forgiven. Oh, that past? Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're forgiven for that. Stop dwelling on that. Yeah, but I wish I would have stopped doing that. You are forgiven. Yeah, but I wasted so much. No, no, no. You're forgiven. If we, if we don't embrace this, we're going to be stuck. Not able to move forward in the newness of Christ. We are forgiven by Christ alone. Look at verses 13 and 14. Here, Paul provides this amazing description regarding the power of Christ to make us new. The power of Jesus. 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the atonement. This is, this is substitutionary atonement. This is Jesus standing in our place, taking our sin so that our record of debt was nailed to the cross, never to be seen Again, if we do not embrace this, then we can't walk in freedom. We can't walk in joy. We can't walk in newness. The truth of the matter is, for each of us, we've been brought back from the dead. We've been brought back from the dead by the power of Christ and the power of forgiveness. When he talks here about the the uncircumcision of our flesh... He's talking about us. He's talking about Gentiles that were outside of the covenant. But God graciously has grafted us into the covenant plan of Israel so that we could experience forgiveness through Christ. God's redemptive plan was offered to us. And scripturally speaking, if it is not for the intervention of God... Through the work of Christ, we remain spiritually dead. A dead person cannot wake up and receive something. It needs to be the work of God in that person. And the sad truth, sad truth is that 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 spiritual death leads to its natural Conclusion, which in Scripture is separation from God from all of eternity in hell. And that is sad, it's terrifying, and we need to get to work. This is truth. We're not talking about metaphorical death. We're talking about real spiritual death that brings with it horrific consequences. By the way, people say, well, how can a loving God create a hell? The punishment of rebellion against God is so extreme. God's holiness is so extreme that this penalty has to reflect it. So you, though, 
if you're a follower of Christ, we're brought back from the dead. If you embrace that truth, you can live with gratitude. You won't be like me. You won't be a curmudgeon all of the time. You can actually smile and have joy. Just ask Wendy. I, I smile all the time, don't I, Wendy? She's nodding, going like, I'm glad it's Father's Day. I can say some nice things to him today. Anyway, we need to walk in gratitude. And then here's the, here's the part of this that's striking is your debts were canceled at the cross. Not mitigated, not kind of put over there. Canceled. So the wording that Paul uses here, this idea of canceling out the record of debt just comes from what they would have been familiar with is the, the person who owed money would have just signed this document that would have ensured the fact that a debt needed to be paid. And, and what Paul is saying is here, here is that that document was nailed to the cross when Christ went to the cross and it's no longer valid. We're clean. And the legal decree in which, that we don't measure up to is the Mosaic law, which the, the law isn't bad. It's here to show us our sin. It's here to help us understand that we can't meet those requirements. And so we need a Savior. We need Jesus to come and pay that price for us. It's an amazing truth. John MacArthur, who's a pastor and teacher, really puts it well. He said, Paul says here that God has wiped off our certificate of debt, having nailed it to the cross. Not a trace of it remains to be held against us. Our forgiveness is complete. Not a trace of it remains. Do you believe that? Can you allow yourself to believe that? Do you even want to believe it? Or do you have this kind of sick victim mentality where you like dragging that stuff around with you? People ask me all the time. You know, they're, all, they're interested in the end times. And they ask me about the believer's judgment. And it's really fun. That's why we don't go to a lot of parties and stuff because I end up in these deep theological discussions. But it's like, Paul, how are you? Oh, I have some questions for you, pastor. You know, either about the church or theology. Um, they say, you know, when we stand before Christ, and they're referring to the believer's judgment in First and Second Corinthians, is there going to be regret? And I say, well, I don't think so, because it says here in Scripture that our debts have been canceled. So what would we be expressing regret about? Do you see how we think? We, we, we get the concept that, yeah, okay, I get that. Like, he can, he can, he can kind of put an X over that, but still I'm going to be held. No, it's complete forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to keep short accounts with God because we still sin daily. If we believe John in 1 John, he said, if you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. I'm talking about positionally. Before God, we are absolutely forgiven, and we wear the righteousness of Christ. And this is an amazing truth, because we don't have to keep going back to the old way. So can you 
embrace these truths. Number one, you're saved by Jesus alone. You can't add on, shouldn't add on, don't try to add on. And by the way, please, 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 please ignore culture when they think we're bigots for thinking that Jesus is the conduit to salvation. Jesus is the conduit to salvation and only Christ. Secondly, we receive forgiveness through Christ, complete forgiveness. And then thirdly, and this is really important too, we gain victory through Christ alone. This is how we can walk in a new life. Victory over the enemy. Look at verse 15. The wording here is amazing. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. That all happened at the cross. This is a picture. As so often, Paul uses these these pictures of Rome and, and these ideas of these Roman generals. And this again is a Roman general coming back from battle and he's parading his prisoners and his captives through the streets of Rome to humiliate them. And what Jesus did on the cross is he took these evil entities and he destroyed them and humiliated them and put them to open shame. So they have they have no power over the believer but that we give them. This is a really difficult area because we all know spiritual warfare is real. We read about it in scripture. We all know that Satan is attacking. We're all being oppressed. We don't even know it sometimes. And that attack will continue until the day that we're with Christ. But the promise here is that if we just side ourselves with Christ, walk along with Christ, that that victory's already been won. We're not alone. And in the end, we are on the winning team. And so many times we feel like we don't have any power against the enemy, when in fact, we have all of the power. We have all of the authority because we walk with Christ, who is our strength, who has already humiliated the enemy. And so if you're struggling in certain areas of your life, and that sin is just, is just eating away at you, just picture for a moment the evil entity that's tempting you or the, that, that sin that keeps dogging you and that Christ has already paraded that entity through, through the streets of, of, of gold or whatever it is and he has openly shamed them so you don't have to succumb to them. Victory in Christ. You don't have victory through good life principles, through positive thinking. By believing that our best life now. No, you have victory in one place. It's called Jesus. And you have that victory by becoming intimate with Christ, by knowing him better, by developing a deep affection for him, by making him your one true pursuit. That's how victory begins to come. And I know that's a hard thing. Like we all just want to like pick up a book and go, oh, good, there's five principles here. I'm done. Great. No, that's not how it works. It's a deep, lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It all happened at the cross. Paul was enamored with the cross. Paul talked all about the cross. In, in Galatians, he talked about the cross. But, but far be it for me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I boast in the cross of Christ. Where has this gone in our churches today? Where is it? I mean, I'm t- you know what I'm tired of? I'm tired of celebrity pastors. Tired of, 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 of hearing five voices in the entire Christian community. I'm, I'm tired of, of, of a book after book. Frankly, for me, where I'm in my life, I just want to know Jesus more. I really do. And I'm not saying these people are bad. I'm saying Jesus is more important. Because Jesus is where your victory is going to be found. Jesus is there for you. And so, to live this new life... You have to understand you're saved by Christ. You're forgiven by Christ. You can have victory in Christ. And now I just want to take a moment and I want to just break this down for you and talk about my life with Christ. How does, what does this look like hitting the road when you go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow, you take care of the kids tomorrow, whatever it is. First of all, I want you to know about baptism again. Baptism matters. You say, well, that's not very practical. Actually, it is. Because this is what identifies us with the body of Christ. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And so he cared about baptism. Now, I know some of you, many of you have been baptized in other traditions. You've been baptized as, as babies in other traditions. And that's something you just need to wrestle with because I know it's difficult. There's family relationships, there's loyalties, but... Here, Paul's talking about baptism by immersion. And he's talking about the fact that the, the symbolism is important. In fact, Paul knew about this. When, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was a terrorist, Christian killer. And this guy named Ananias got, got the job of going to meet him. And he was going like, Jesus, you sure? This guy's like, do you know who he is? And God said, yeah, it's your, your job. And I'm sure he was thrilled about a calling, that calling on his life. He went and he met Paul. Paul disappears off the map for three years. Likely being discipled. But when he's ready to go, when he's ready to do his ministry, here's what Ananias said to him. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. In other words, identify yourself now with Jesus. You're no longer Saul of Tarsus. So it does matter. We're going to have a church-wide baptism on July 29th at a local lake. I would love you to pray and consider being baptized if you haven't been before. All of these lanterns, and there are going to be more at the end of this week, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I would love to have it represented in the waters of baptism. To see new believers, to see our church standing together for Christ at the lake, worshiping, testifying, and professing our love for Jesus Christ. Baptism does matter. Secondly, I can literally be brought back from the dead. Why is this important? Because many of us live as if we're always going to be dead. There's no hope for me. My circumstances can't change. My life can't change. I can't change. 
It's not true. I read a blog on suicide this past week after the, the, the suicides that are starting to pile up in the statistics and said the words always and never are huge when it comes to this because people believe that it's always going to be like this and I can never change my circumstances. The truth of the matter is, is that through Christ, everything can change. And I want you to know that. And, and you, can be, you can be revived at whatever level you're at right now. Thirdly, forgiveness is complete and final, so stop trying to earn the love of God. Stop going back to your past and letting it dog you. You can't change it. The beautiful thing about God is not only does he forgive you, he weaves it into a tapestry where you can use it for his glory. I have a friend who, his name is John Turnipseed. He ran all of the gangs in North Minneapolis. He's killed numerous people. He's been in jail for, for murder. He's got kids in jail for murder. He goes into these he goes into these prisons, and I've seen him, and he stands there. And, of course, he's got the attention of everyone there because he's the man. And he just says, yeah, I've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, and I want to break this cycle. And these people are just glued to him. And John is the different. He's, he is not the same person anymore. And he's using, God is using his past to get at people that none of us could ever get at. That's the beauty of forgiveness. This is a really scriptural idea, too. If you look at some, some verses, Psalm 32, 1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then in the book of Isaiah, we see this truth. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. That's the power of Christ. Nailed. To a cross. And sure, do we still struggle with sin? Of course. Are we being attacked? Yes. But here's the temporal promise that we have. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? So this is, this is why this is so antithetical to what we're taught. This is this. This is what it works. How it works. God, I know that was wrong. I'm sorry. And you're forgiven. Well, wait a minute. There's got to be more than, wait a minute, hold on. No. That's it. <laughs> but we want it to be more because we don't feel like we've satisfied the, the penalty for it. But we're forgiven. So live like it and you can be free. And then you can have victory. And here's the next point. Victory is mine. Do not walk in defeat. Romans 8.37 tells us we are more than conquerors. And so whatever is facing you, whatever God has called you to do, I believe that God has called Ridgewood into a new future, a future of multiplication, a future of growth, a future of reaching our neighborhoods, a future of being a key player in this area. And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know that there's going to be spiritual entities that are going to try to stand against that. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be fear. There's going to be the threat of disunity. It's all going to happen. What we need to do is walk in victory because all of those entities have already been paraded in shame. And so we as a church can find out what God has for us and we can walk together and we can move into that future with trust and we can walk in victory. And then finally... We can believe 
and understand that all people, that God desires all people to experience this. This isn't just for us. In, in, in 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, if this is all true, if forgiveness is real, then we can be on mission to tell everyone we possibly can. And if they are truly dead in their sins, then we have to have the courage to tell them they're dead. You do that through relationships. You don't just walk up to somebody in the street and say, hey, you're dead. You're not going to fly. But if you go to some games with someone... You go shopping with someone, you get to know someone. And they start asking questions and say, like, why, why are you like this? And then you might have an opportunity soon to just say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I've been forgiven. So I'm alive, man. I just feel like God has a plan for me. And that's how it works. And that's what our mission is. You know, you know we're, we're not talking about being an attractional church. We're not talking about putting on the big best thing. We're talking about sending you out into neighborhoods, into relationships, to be the priests and ministers that God has called you to be. And I'm so excited and so honored that our board have prayed about this and they're, and they're 100% invested in this. And if you came to a board meeting, you'd be so excited by the amount of prayer that goes on there, by the excitement to reach people for Christ. We're being led by people that don't have agendas but to reach people for Jesus and do what's best for Ridgewood Church. And so will you help us do this? Will you join a community group? You might say, I've heard, here's what I hear. I don't think we really need that. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe a group needs you, your wisdom. Maybe they need your skill sets. Maybe they need your mentoring skills. Join us, serve, and pray. Because we have something to say. We know that the only way to be saved is through Christ. The only way to be forgiven is through Christ. The only way to have victory is through Christ. So two questions as we end. Number one, you're a believer. Are you going to receive this truth or are you going to put it off for another day? The hardest truth for me is the forgiveness aspect. I I totally 100% bought into salvation by Christ alone. That's not even a question. But the forgiveness piece, oh, man, that, I wrestle with that. I believe it to be the truth, but actually incorporating it into my life, that's a constant challenge. So I have to trust the work of God in me. Are you willing to trust the work of God in you? And then secondly, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you've been putting it off, you're not sure you have a faith in Christ, I want to challenge you this morning that this is also true for you, that without Christ, you cannot be saved, you cannot be forgiven. You will not walk in eternal victory. And so I want you to make a decision that's important. I want you to just take a minute and I want you to pray about this. While we pray, they're going to put a number up on the screen that you can just text confidentially. You can just write the word life there and text life. And then it'll tell you what to do and a pastor can get in touch with you. Why don't you just take a moment, silently think this over. What are these areas that you need to embrace or change? And then I'll close in prayer. And we're going, to sing a, we're going to listen to a song sung about the incredible love of God. But let's just take a moment of silent prayer first.
Lord God, these are difficult truths for all of us to to um, grapple with because we're, it's it's countercultural for us. We don't really um, experience this, and I just we just need to learn how to trust you. And as we think about these truths, they're all made possible because of your your grace and your mercy and your love. A love that transcends anything that we can understand. So just take the truth of the word and just drill it into our hearts and souls. So number one, we live like it. And number two, we are motivated to tell others about it. And help receiving of grace help us to give grace to others. The receiving of forgiveness helped us to forgive others. The receiving of salvation help us to help others receive salvation, God. And help us now as we listen to be enamored with, revel in, and worship you for your deep love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.